Hey friends, we're so excited for today's episode and I can't wait to get into this conversation. My name is Sarah Beckman and you're listening to Chasing Dreams with Amy J. Welcome to Chasing Dreams podcast with Amy J. Amy believes that realizing a life without regrets is achieved by taking chances, chasing your dreams, making moves, and overcoming your doubts. The Chasing Dreams podcast will help you overcome life's obstacles, believe in your potential, and inspire you to face your fears. And now here's the woman who is passionately pursuing her dreams, Amy J. Dream Chasers, this is Amy J, and thank you so much for tuning in to episode 158 of Chasing Dreams. Today's episode is sponsored by the mobile app Duopix, brought to you by my company, Chuma Apps. Duopix allows you to compare two photos in one image, whether it's before and after, then and now, or just two photos. And now it allows you to save your projects and watermark your photos. Duopix is available on iOS, and you can find more information about it at amyj21.com slash duopix. That's picks with an X. Guys, I'm so excited to talk about today's episode. I have Sarah Beckman. She inspires people from the stage and on the page. She's the best-selling author of Alongside, a practical guide for loving your neighbor in their time of trial, which is filled with practical tools to love people well in the rough patches of life. Sarah speaks to audiences across the country on topics such as loving your neighbor, sharing your faith, safeguarding your marriage, and digging up your talents. We have a great time and a great conversation. So check it out. Hey, Sarah, thank you so much for coming onto the show. I'm excited to be here. Now, let me ask you something. The interesting thing is you have a book alongside A Practical Guide for Loving Your Neighbor in Their Time of Trial, and it's not a self-centered book. It's not really, it is self-development, I think, personal development. But what's interesting is is that you involve other people and not just anyone, your neighbor. And so um, I definitely want to talk about this, but I guess let's give the audience a little bit of the background. What do you do besides being an author? Well, (laughs) that's a great question. What do I do? No, Uh, I, well, I'm a women speaker and an author and I am a mom that you know, primarily my, my number one focus has been staying home with my kids. My husband has a pretty big job. So for many years, I was a stay-at-home mom. And then I was able to sort of weave in speaking and writing in between what, you know, while my kids are in school and that kind of thing. But ultimately, I also really consider myself to be someone who loves other people and tries at every turn to love my neighbor as myself. So when you were growing up, what what did what did Sarah want to be? Mm, honestly, Sarah wanted to be famous. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So I'm the youngest of 14 kids. Yeah, I could see why. You want yep, attention? Exactly. Attention. And I think I just always wanted to be heard, but mm-hmm. I also sort of had natural inclinations towards being able to capture attention or be on the stage or whatever it might be. And so, yeah, I just, one way or another, I always just kind of wanted to be famous and I didn't really know what turn that would take. Um, And even in college, I wanted to be uh, an advertising executive. 
And it's so hard to break into that industry. And then, you know, I, I did several kind of crazy different jobs for a while. And then I decided to stay home with my kids and never even really thought I would get back to that whole notion of my education, which was journalism. And um, yeah, and then God just kind of opened doors for me and made it clear that I was supposed to write a book. Yeah. And let's talk about that because, you know, as a stay-at-home mom, full-time job in and of itself. Absolutely. Right. right? I mean, you're already busy. What is it that drives you to kind of add on to your workload in the terms of speaking and writing this book? Well, I, I always did a lot of volunteer work. And once my kids were in school, you know, you have time, even though you're busy with, you know, managing your house and the kids. So when they were in school, I had more time. And honestly, uh, people just um, really encouraged me towards that end of speaking. And that came first because I actually, I think there's two schools of people. There's authors who, who sort of have to be speakers because they people want them to talk about their book. The nature of and the business. Yeah. And then there's speakers who are also authors. And I would consider myself in that category. Uh, but it was really born out of people just encouraging that part of me and helping me realize really that it was a dream of mine, kind of a secret dream to you know, be a speaker. And then the book sort of followed a long suit. So when you first began speaking, what topics did you talk about? Kind of anything that I felt was happening in my life. I think it's so important to speak on what you're living instead of just being, in my situation, a Christian women speaker. You know, you could talk about anything in the Bible. But this is true. Really, There's plenty of yeah. material. There's so much. And so I always felt really called to speak about what I was living. And so when I first felt the call, if you will, like, uh, and it's not, you know, I mean, there's lots of callings in life, but I I definitely felt like this was something I was supposed to pursue and people, like I said, encouraged it. But I also felt like there was a moment in time where I realized that this was a thing and I kind of had to make a decision. Are you going to do this or not? And and so I said, all right, we're stepping out. Uh, this is scary. I don't know how to balance my family and this. But I wrote down a list of things that I would that I felt like I could speak about. And the first topic I ever wanted to speak about was provision. And in the faith perspective, that kind of meant in places in my life where God had provided for me and my family. And that was kind of the first thing. And then I went to actually some speaking training Mm -hmm. and it was there that I wrote down a bunch of other topics, but I talked about things like using your gifts and the things that you're really naturally good at. And that is one of my favorite, I call it digging up your talents. And that's really one of my favorite, favorite (laughs) things to speak about still 10 years later. Can we, can we talk about that for a second? It's, it's a, it's a parable in the Bible for those who may not be aware. It's one of my favorites as well. Can you, can you summarize it for those who are listening that may not be familiar with the parable of the talents? Yes, of course. So basically, um, it's the story of a master going on a journey. And when he leaves, he entrusts his property to his servants. And he gives each of them a sum of money, which is a talent in biblical times, which is a, like basically think of it as a bar of gold that was about 75 pounds. And he gave one 
of the servants five talents and the next one two and the third one one talent and he left on this journey and when he came back the first two servants had doubled what they were given so one returned 10 to the master and the other returned four but the third servant only gave back what he had been given to begin with and he said i was afraid and so i went and buried your talent in the ground and the master was furious and kind of just said like at least you could have put it in the bank and you know gotten interest instead of you know operating out of fear and so there's so many lessons in that but for me even it's like preaching a message to myself that i am not supposed to operate out of fear and that is definitely the place where most of us take a sidetrack to our dreams right yeah. We have a dream in mind and then all of a sudden it seems too scary and what if I'm not good or what if A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I mean, we can think of a hundred things that could go wrong when we pursue our dream or our passions. And But the one thing that the master in this parable says is, I don't want you to be afraid. That's not what I had in mind. And so that just is a reminder to me that really our job is to basically just multiply what we've been given and and whether you believe it's god that in, you know entrusted you with your skills and talents and abilities or wherever you think they came from um you have things inside you that are naturally there and our job isn't just to let them sit and you know in other words hide them but to how can we use them in our life to multiply how can we use them to benefit other people. And, and that was really sort of the crisis, the crux of the matter for me was, okay, Sarah, you do have a talent in this area and you need to multiply it by being brave enough to just say, okay, I'm doing this. And here's some of the things I speak about. And I don't know if anyone will hire me. And <laughs> 10 years later, here we are. And People have hired me. <laughs> See, and I love I love that motivation because I, you know, the parable of the talent. And for for anyone who is Christian and has a Bible, or if you look it up online, wh- whether you're a Christian or not, it's online. Uh, it's St. Matthew chapter twenty five verses fourteen, I think fourteen to thirty, yes. something like that. Um, four- fourteen to twenty nine. Yeah, roughly right. You're exactly right. Okay, mm-hmm. so you guys, I mean, check that out in general. Like Sarah's saying. The message underlying, regardless of your faith, is important. Yes. You know, that we, I, I think you're absolutely right. We all have talents. And I love the fact that we could use you as an example right now, right? Mm-hmm. You went to college and you thought advertising was your talent. Mm-hmm. And you dug and you found, you know, maybe, maybe that wasn't the right thing. And that right. you pivoted and you, and, and the thing is, is that. Maybe, maybe you gave it up entirely. And maybe when you went, let me, let me actually not put words in your mouth. When you became a stay at home mom, did you think that was it? Did you think you were going to be doing anything else at that moment? No. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I, yeah, I kind of felt like, and it, interesting that you'd ask, because I remember people saying that we're in the workplace and oh, I just hate how we divide ourselves into these buckets, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we are all working hard, whether we're home or in the corporate America and they each have their own struggles, but it can be difficult and we need to cheer for each other yeah. instead of dividing each other. But I remember a, a friend um, that said to me, don't you feel like if you leave the 
the workplace, you're going to be left on the side of the road and people are just going to pass you by. Wow. That's a, I know that's that's a crim. It was really rough to hear because I was like, I went to college. I'm smart. And I don't think I'm just going to be passed by. But I also felt like my children were entrusted to me. And I needed to multiply in that area to pour into them, even when it's hard to be with them day after day after day. And my husband traveled a lot. And so a lot of times I was single parenting with him gone overseas. And uh, you know he traveled probably two thirds of the time for about mm-hmm. 15 to 18 years of our marriage. <laughs> so, and we've been married 25 years. So it just, it was really crazy to me to think that, oh yeah, I'm just, I, I mean, I kind of did at that initial time, like I'm, I'm stepping out of the workplace. I'm on the side of the road. <laughs> and I'm being left behind. Let's, let's just make it clear for anyone listening. Being a full-time parent is a job in and of itself. It is not easy. And if you think it is, just go ahead and take one day and be the parent. Just, mm-hmm. you know, take the role, all their responsibilities, all that they do, go ahead and do it. And you'll see it's not easy. I mean, parents who are single parents and parents who are full time, utmost respect. Yes. Utmost respect. But for you, not I, I don't think you were on the side of the road. I think you were doing what was your purpose at that time. But for you to listen to others, and you probably felt it within yourself to pivot and add on to mm-hmm. to add on to the the responsibilities you have in your life and use your talents cuz th- that's the thing you found other talents that you had within you right right i mean that's what it sounds like the the writing the speaking the ability to relate to someone else yeah and it, the writing is so interesting cuz of course I liked writing when I was in high school and I got A's and I'm certainly not a history or a math or science person whatsoever. I mean I would definitely put myself in the English words camp, mm-hmm. but I don't consider myself as eloquent or talented of a writer as a lot of people that I know that I love reading their books. So when I first started speaking And that was around 2007. So we're talking, you know, 11, 10 or 11 years ago. Around that time, you know, blogging was really a thing and it was pretty much just the new thing. And if you were going to do anything uh, in the area of speaking or writing, you were going to blog. I mean, that was a thing that was really, very popular. And so I started a website and I started a blog And I mean, I have been blogging for 10 years. And when I look back at my original early posts and I look at the metamorphosis of what I've done, and when I look at even my first book to my second book, which I just actually am working, finishing right now, it's just in the um, final stages. It comes out in March of next year and we're just in the final production and layout of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, you just keep growing. You just keep changing. And I didn't think that just my measly little blog with my 10 people that followed it or whatever, you know, was worth anything, but you just start. And, uh, you know, there's another expression that comes right out of that parable, actually, 
of scripture. And it's the master, when he comes back, he says to the servants, you've been faithful with a few. I will put you in charge of many. And that to me is really what I feel encapsulates a lot of the last 10 to 12 years of my life. Even, even my whole life raising my kids, this last, my son is 21 years old, my oldest. And I really was, I was faithful with the few little things. I was faithful with the four or five people in my neighborhood, or I was faithful with the little play group or whatever small amount. I was faithful with my 10 followers on my blog. I was faithful each year to just keep trying to write and and perfect and get better at my craft. And once I started speaking, I was faithful with the, you know, audience of 30 or even eight, you know, and it's not like I, I mean, sometimes people think, oh, you've arrived, you've had audiences of 500 mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know what? You see that. But for 10 years, I've been working towards that because I've been faithful with eight or two in my audience. And, you know, it's just such an interesting concept that we all look at each other and think they've arrived, but we don't see someone for the work that went into and the you know the evolving of them as a career or as sure. a mom or any of those things so yeah in that career cuz cuz perseverance and and that journey that you go through it's so important to talk about and and you're absolutely right i mean people now see the fruits of your labor right but don't see the labor itself yes and when you're doing that labor you know it's often easy to say, ah, yeah, but look at what what it got her. It's easy to do. I just have to do X, Y, and Z, one, two, three, and boom, I'll get it like she got it. But within that ABC, one, two, three, those 10 years you put in with the audiences from 10 to eight to 500, what it is now, did you have moments where you wanted to stop? Yes. (laughs) Yes. And yes. And yes. Yeah. Uh, we all think that the grass is greener sometimes as you know, that's of course a real thing. Mm-hmm. And there was many times that I really wanted in my, in my mind, I wanted to cash it all in and go do an eight to five job and work for someone else and get a paycheck and actually be paid for the value of my work. <laughs> and my husband and I would just have these long conversations where I would just be like, if you got, if you worked for 10 years and hardly got paid, you know, would you want to keep working? He's like, well, of course not. But what you're doing is not about money. It's about the message and it matters. And, you know, so there was lots of times that I wanted to quit mm-hmm. very much. Um, just because you you get caught up in the numbers, you get caught up in the social media, sort of the number of followers or comparing yourself to other people. And even though I know that I'm not supposed to compare myself to anyone else, and I'm supposed to walk my road and take my talents and do what I can with what I have, it's just real tempting sometimes. And then you get discouraged when you work really hard and you feel like, oh yeah, five people read that or you know, I only sold this many books or whatever, you know, you just find these metrics. But really for me, that's the pushing back point is that I know it's not about the metrics. It is about the message. You know, it's interesting you say that because I I think about the fact that you did 10 years and uh, I 
I heard from these other YouTubers who talk about how they they have a viral hit, but they people don't talk about the fact that they've had moments previously where they will work hours and hours and hours on these videos and release it and think this is the one, this is the one. Right. And then that isn't the one. And then it might be six months. It might be 10 years. It might be the next day when that viral hit happens or when they make it, whatever definition they use for that, make it. But then I think about the fact that what if you had been discouraged? What if they had been discouraged? What if people who chase those dreams are discouraged just short? Because we don't know how much longer it takes, right? It's like you said, it's faith. And here you are today. What would have happened? How many people would not have been served if you had quit in year seven? Right. Yeah. And even the the first book and this alongside book that we're talking about today, it took me four and a half years from idea really? to on the shelves. <laughs> so in the meantime, I was six months doing football mom for my kid because he's going to graduate and this is all the time I have. And, you know, I just went through like, I just wrote when I could. I mean, I really did. And I interviewed for a year and asked people their thoughts and kind of collected up a lot of stories of people's trials and what they went through so that it could benefit the book to have multiple voices, not just mine. But then there's the whole publishing process. And that was something where I really wanted to quit many, many times because I remember one specific moment when I reached out to someone who I'd gotten a connection and this person was a consultant and had been involved in marketing some really big Christian titles in the past. And I got access to this person. And when we sat down to process my platform, so to speak, and my book and my message, he basically said, "Um, I don't think I would launch a national speaking career uh, with this book. Oh, no. What? Is there anything else you could write about first and maybe do that later? And I was like, hmm, nope. (laughs) And, but his no really helped me develop my yes, that regardless of the way I was getting this book to print. Mm. And, um, and then he, you know, he sent my manuscript to an agent and the agent said, "Mm, nope not big enough yet, not enough followers, not a, not a big enough platform, which is kind of a big fancy word for how many people are invested and interested in what you're doing. And, you know, it's not hundreds of thousands, I'll tell you that much. So they kind of said, yeah. And this is all without even like acknowledging the content of the book. Right. It's or the superficial the numbers of the writing, right? Which just is so disheartening to a writer when you've poured your heart and soul, and you've—I mean, I spent a month writing the book proposal alone and just getting the clarity, and I had half the book written at that time. And so, between his no and the agents' no, that they wouldn't even consider representing me, uh, I went into the mode of I'm going to self-publish because I just can't move forward with my life until I get this book out of me <laughs> and on paper and just to the world so that I can move on. Um, and in the end, I was going down the self-publishing route and then got another person just reached out to me and said, Hey, have you considered this, this publisher? And I have a friend there. And, you know, literally I had my contract within a month. Wow. Amazing. And so I just started to go down a path 
and chose one. And then, you know, in my estimation, God just redirected it. But I was moving. And I love the expression that a boat that's not moving is very hard to steer. And I'm a sailor. And so I know that when there's no wind, the boat doesn't steer because you're not, you don't have any forward motion. You need forward motion to steer a boat. And in, in reference to God and my faith, I always think I have to move in a direction. And if I'm going the wrong way, God's going to steer me another way, but I have to be moving. I can't just sit there paralyzed. So yeah, that's kind of what happened with the book. That's phenomenal. Yeah, it's pretty fun. It's a great story. It, it is. And it's just one of perseverance of fortitude and just faith. It really is a story of faith. And I mean, that's what dream chasing is, isn't it? Just yeah, moving along and having faith that what you believe in will happen, just not knowing when. Yeah. And I also think too, is not knowing how. Yeah. And and that really, I, I want to know. I, if I knew exactly how something was going to happen, I would do it. No problem. If you could tell me the 10 steps to get there, I can do <laughs> the steps. <laughs> but that's not how life is, is it? No, that's a good point. That, that's, exa- that's a very good point is that if you gave everyone, um, hey, here's the uh, instructions on how to get your dreams. Go ahead and do that. There absolutely would be more people chasing their dream, but would it really be a dream right? or just something you're getting? Exactly. So I wanted to talk about the book and the subject matter of it. Like, why did you write a book about loving your neighbor? Why was that the subject matter you decided and wanted for your first book, especially given pushback that you received? Why was it important to you to write this? Yeah, such a great question. Well, ultimately... I really felt impassioned about it because I not only um, had my own hardship, but I walked with other people through theirs. So I, when my daughter, I was pregnant with my third daughter, I was on bed rest for 11 weeks. Wow. Yes. And the community and our church and neighbors and people that I hardly knew in some cases came alongside my family and really loved us. It through that time because I was stuck in my bed and I had a four-year-old and a two-year-old at the time. And then uh, not long after my daughter was born, when she was 18 months old, I had my first back surgery and I ended up having three more. So I had four total back surgeries in six years. Oh my goodness. Yes. And so again, I was on the receiving end of people's generosity and support and kindness and loving my family through tangible, practical ways. And in, in simultaneously to that, I had a best friend that was diagnosed with leukemia. And she was a friend from church. And we had kids the exact same age. We each had three kids and they were the same ages. And I was going through back surgeries while she was going through cancer. And so of course, in my mind, her cancer trumps my back surgery, which is true. But, you know, I know we're not supposed to compare our hardships. Sure, but sure. But was, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yes, as yeah. a friend and just, yes. Right. She was in in great need. And so I was sort of a, a, one of the key people that helped her family through that time and, and sort of was a point person. And one of my gifts is bossiness. 
<laughs> so I was bossy and I just was helpful to their family in that way because I could tell people what they needed and what they didn't need and kind of organize things. Another gift of being the youngest of 14 kids, I learned how to make my voice heard. So I cared for them in that way. And then I had a neighbor who lost a husband. And then not long after was diagnosed with breast cancer and she passed away. And then my sister's husband um, was diagnosed with cancer and he passed away. So in that decade, my bed rest, my four surgeries, and then three people close to me died all one year apart from each other. Oh my goodness. I am so sorry to hear all that. Yeah. It's, it's hard to look back on and really, to, you know, the magnitude of it is sure. interesting when I sort of lay it out, but you're in crisis coping mode. So you just keep pressing on. And what I realized at the end was that people were turning to me for advice. How do I help my friend who has cancer? What do I do? My mom has this situation. Uh, I just couldn't believe how many people wanted help with how to handle it. And that was sort of where the idea of the book was born. So I never dreamed this would be the first book that I would write, Mm -hmm. but it sort of landed in my lap because I felt an obligation to speak truth about this topic in that there was many people that did things that were really amazing, but there was just as many people who did things that were not so amazing. And I had looked and scoured for resources and I could find blog posts or I could find white papers, but I didn't really find books, especially not guidebook type books that really laid out practically. And as we talked before about this whole notion of, if you tell me what to do, I can do it. Like, give me the steps and the plan. Well, that was really my dream was that people would open this book and they would know exactly what to do for their friend, their family, their neighbor, their coworker, their whoever, the person they love and care about when they were in a crisis or a trial, whether that's divorce or loss of a child or infertility or unemployment or cancer or death of a loved one. And what I found is through interviewing people in my own experience that many of the same suggestions rose to the surface regardless of the trial. So the advice was the same. It didn't matter if it was cancer versus divorce. The advice was, you know, show up or do things without asking my permission or, you know, listen to me or, um, you know, offer something specific so I don't have to think about what to do. Or, or or have you do, you know, so all the advice was the same. And that became the chapters of the book. See, and I love this because guys, if you, the links for the book will be in the show notes. So you guys should definitely check that out. But the book talks about things like overcoming the insecurity of doing the wrong thing, gaining confidence to love well with tangible actions, discern between helpful and unhelpful words to say, and so much more. But the two that, that stuck out to me, because I think this is, an an initial thing for people is overcome the insecurity of doing the wrong thing. I I, got to be honest. I sometimes with my community, with family and friends, I don't feel this, but with people I don't know, um, people who I'm not familiar with, maybe it's coworkers, maybe it's uh, people I'm just getting that we're just in the same group with. I have this insecurity that I'm going to say the wrong thing. 
that I'm right. going to do the wrong thing. I don't want to step on anyone's toes. So maybe not doing anything would be better. I'll, I'll fess up to that now. Like in the Malayali Indian community, I don't have this problem. Also, because I, I think I have a gift for for smoothing it because with people I know. But for people I don't know, I have this urge. I want to do something, but I'm like, mm, they might take that the wrong way. Let me not. And that you have, that you talk about that. Can you talk a little bit about how that works or, or a yes. sneak peek of, yeah, of how of to course. overcome so that? One, one way is, I mean, there actually is a chapter about what to what to say. It's called choose wise words. And so there's some really key suggestions. And like, for example, if you're at a funeral and maybe you don't know the person well, but it's your friend and maybe it was their mom. Well, they, people like remembrances instead of just that empty condolence, like, Oh, I'm sorry for your loss. Right. Everyone says that. But if we instead say, I remember how much you adored your mom or you would talk about her, how excited you got when you would see her. And I'm sure that you're going to miss her because of how close you were. Or if you did know the mom or the dad or whoever passed away, sharing a memory of what they meant to you or something that you remember about them is so precious to the person that has lost someone that they love. Um, if, If someone has cancer, then really what they want to know is that you're there for them and they don't need you to fix it or give them your suggestions for juicing or oils or your organic food that's (laughs) going to cure their cancer or the magic doctor or flying to China or whatever your solution is. They mostly just want you to be there, to be present, to not try to fix it. Um, And throughout the book, one of the ways that I've made it easier for you know to know what to do or not to do in certain situations, and this you you led into this perfectly because when you know someone well, you're more inclined to know on some level what they might need. But the further away from you relationally they are, mm-hmm. the harder it is to discern. Mm. So there's a chapter that talks about relationship tiers and meaning level one, two, three, and four, and then how close you are to someone dictates what you say or what you do. And throughout the whole book, I've used that relationship levels as reminders. This is appropriate if you're a tier one or two. This is appropriate if you're a tier three or four. If you're a three or four, don't do this. (laughs) So definitely a a practical guide. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely at every turn, I really wanted you to be able to know that this is appropriate and and really discern and think about how well do I know this person and then see the book and the suggestions through that lens so that you can have the confidence and not be insecure anymore because you say, you know what? I don't know them super well. So I'm not going to offer to go over and do their laundry. That might be awesome for me to be in their house touching underwear, you know, uh, or right. You're a one. Then that's a really practical thing that you could say, I'll come every Monday and do the laundry. So you don't have to work or worry about that. And that's a very simple one, but gives you an idea of how knowing your relationship helps you know how to respond. I love that. I, I mean, I love the book and the concept and what you're doing because you're right. It, there is no book or even, it's very hard to find on the websites as well, 
that talks about this. It's kind of that unspoken, uh, nobody say anything. It's kind of like crickets. Right. And you know, the thing that was really hard for me was that when I would read websites, they were always very tainted with the person's personal experience. And often it was born out of a negative experience. Mm -hmm. Like, don't ever say this to someone who has cancer. Don't do this. You know, some of the things I mentioned, you know, the juicing and the tears. and, And so it, it came from a wounded place, if you will. Mm-hmm. And what I wanted was to be like a 40,000 feet view so that I took myself as much out of it as possible and tried to be, create more of a third person practical guidebook. I mean, there's certainly my stories, but they're not all sorts of stories about how people hurt me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I framed almost all of the chapters are framed in a positive way, like an action that you could do that's a positive. So any feedback I got when I interviewed people that was negative, I thought, okay, what's the counteracting of that? If they say the wrong thing and they hurt you, what's the right thing to say? Yeah. So it's all framed in the positive. There is one chapter called Don't Do This <laughs> because some things you just have to put in black and white. Some like, things you just have to say straight out. Yeah, yeah. Just don't do this, please. So, but yeah, it, I really, and, and you know, thinking about the dream and and the notion of the podcast and the people listening, I, I really just have to be honest and transparent and say that there was many times I wanted to quit um, because I felt like I could never get all the scenarios perfect in that, okay, there's always going to be an exception to the rule of what mm-hmm. I've written in this book. There's sure. always going to be someone who says, well, you said to go over and then I went and that was the wrong thing. And those were the voices that I had to just put on mute because 80 to 90% good is good enough because it is going to help people. And for most of the time, it's the right answer. And that was something that almost got in the way of me not following through on my dream because it's just so tempting to start hearing the negative voice of, oh, but that's not going to be right all the time. So, you you know, this isn't going to be a good book. Or what about you didn't put tier one, two, three, and four in every paragraph, you know, whatever. It's just, there's so many ways I could have just said, nope. Well, listen, I, I'm very glad you didn't listen to the self-doubt or yes. the the imposter syndrome that may, you may have faced because yes. nothing ever is going to appeal to everyone. There's always going to be haters, so to speak, um, with anybody who's chasing a dream, but especially writers, authors, creators, there's always going to be someone that is, it, it's not their cup of tea, but right. The fact that you're doing it, you're not doing it for everyone. You're not doing it for the haters, but you're doing it for people like me who are in need of that resource and the guidance through those difficult times. And for other creators, you're doing it for those who are interested, those who you're appealing to, your audience, right? Right. And and I love that you kept going because I will be getting your book because I I do want to read it. And I'm very curious as to how that is. I mean, unfortunately, you had many experiences to pull from, unfortunately, but that also makes you an expert. And so a silver lining to those um, sad times, I think, is this book. And I love that you saw through and I I hope it helps not just me or, or anyone listening to this, but to the families going through it as well. Yes, because honestly, that's really the thing is that it it's you're going through one of the darkest times of your life. 
And then if someone makes it darker because they ignored you and you lost a friendship or your family member puts their foot in their mouth time and time again, because they're not being focused on you, but they're focused on themselves. You know, our job is to lighten the load, to make what is dark a little bit brighter. And that was really my dream was that people would do better at loving people in these hard places because we can't fix it. We can't Mm -hmm. take away the pain. We can't change the situation they're in, but we can certainly make it just a little better instead of making it worse. Absolutely. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing about the book, but also your journey to writing that and everything. I can't thank you enough. Thank you. It was my pleasure. And guys, that was Sarah Beckman. Amazing, amazing, amazing. So off the record, Sarah and I were talking about an experience where um, some of you know, my dad had surgery recently and he you know, is doing well. He's doing fine. But during his recovery, we had heard from someone who shall not be named, but this person had said that we had not informed them of how he was doing. Like he didn't get a personal phone call. Mind you, we had set up a website. We had texted uh, close family. This person was not close family, uh, but just someone on our periphery, a friend, still is a friend, uh, but had been offended that we had not gotten back to them. And mind you, I was like, dad is telling me this. I'm like, what what are you talking about? I I checked all this. I called everyone back. I texted everyone back. The website is updated. Everyone is notified. But this is what Sarah's book addresses. This is what it addresses and how we should act in those difficult moments if I was said friend. And so I was just, as we were talking, thinking about that because I had just heard it. So anyway, you guys should definitely check out the book so you don't make those kinds of mistakes and that you can get comfortable to love that your own neighbor, whether it's a coworker, friend, family, whatever, and just understand what you should and shouldn't do and kind of feel it out for yourself. Definitely recommend it. You guys can find all the links that we mentioned in the show and more about Sarah and the book over on the show notes page at amyj21.com slash episode 158. That's episode 158. Until next time, dream chasers, keep chasing. Thank you so much for listening to Chasing Dreams. Amy would love to connect with you and hear all about your pursuit of chasing your dreams. Connect with her on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram via at Chasing Dreams HQ. Or you can find Amy on Twitter at AmyJ21. That's A I M E E J21. Be sure to visit headquarters over at ChasingDreamsHQ.com for more inspiration, motivation, and resources to help with your own dream chase. We hope you'll join Amy next week. And until then, keep chasing.